If the gospel is not the way of salvation, it is not a way of salvation. And we're not just dogmatic about this, we are full dogmatic about this. But here's Paul the Apostle writing in the New Testament, and he even sees Christ in a rock. How, how is that? Ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Now think of when he said, you know, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Well, how did they, what was it that made them stumble and think the wrong thing? And what made them hate him? Well, they took it literally. Right. They took it completely literally. And he's, oh, they come and say, well, he said he's going to destroy the temple. You know, and at this time after Herod's to the second temple, Herod's renovations and expansions. This was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was glowing gold from miles away and just an amazing spectacle. And they think that Jesus is saying, you know, that he's going to tear down this temple. And they're mincing his words to even get that But uh, out of what he said. But, um, yeah, he's speaking spiritually in the same way that he's doing with the manna here. So... That's all I have to say, but it's a good, it's another good example of Christ. Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about in Passover feast and, and what we uh, partake of in, in the Lord's Supper. Yes. Uh, uh, which we covered before. So, moving on to what, Exodus 17? Yeah, this one won't take long. It's a quick reference in the New Testament. It's uh, life-giving water from the rock. So you get out into the desert, right? They're delivered from Egypt. They're brought out there. They're not just hungry and angry. They're not just hangry. <laughs> They're also thirsty. I like that hangry. Yeah, yeah I get My wife says sometimes, you're getting hangry. You yeah. need to eat something. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to eat something. You okay. might be getting angry right now. No, I'm not yet. You know, they'll, they'll see. Everybody's like, he's getting angry. He's going to cut the podcast. Uh, no, <laughs> not yet. But he said, <clears throat> uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that actually... Uh, Christ was this rock that was struck. So they are in the wilderness. They need water, and they're complaining against Moses. Well, God makes a way, uh, a miraculous way, where Moses is to strike this rock. And when he strikes this rock, water pours forth. Okay, well, um, Paul picks that up in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 through 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Right. So, you know, sometimes people are shocked when we see Christ in the angel of the Lord, where it's, I think, pretty clear. But here's Paul the Apostle writing in the New Testament, and he even sees Christ in a rock. How, how is that? How is he seeing Christ in a rock? Well, he's saying that, look, the way that the manna fed them, right? If they didn't eat from the manna, what was going to happen? They're going to die. Well, you can make it, uh, they even say like a few, three weeks sometimes without food. You can only make it about three days without water. So they're out there. And if we don't get water, we're dead. And so Paul's saying, no, well, that's Christ. They, well, there's a lot of typology there. The rock... You remember, the Lord told Moses to do this twice. He told him to strike the rock first, but then in Numbers 20, he told him to speak, speak to, it, to it. And he did not. He actually struck it twice. Well, other than blatant disobedience and getting mad and saying, shall we bring water out of this rock for you? That's pride. 
uh, Moses was judged because the typology was this. Christ is the rock that is to be struck once, but he's never to be struck again. Right. He's to be spoken to, and he is to speak, but he is not to be struck again. So, no, I don't think Moses had the typology in mind and that he was sinning again. Now, I've said that before in teachings where it's like, that's God's not going to judge you for something you do not know. Right. Uh, but he will judge you for your disobedience. And in your disobedience, you may be doing something, uh, and you may be forfeiting something that is bigger than you realize. If Moses would have spoke to the rock, it would have shown the typology of Christ. Now, we still see it because we know what God told him to do. Right. Um, but there's some, there's some really amazing things happening here with the two uh, instances with the rock. Paul uh, tells us that Christ is that rock. And so I think we're at liberty to say in Numbers 20, the rock was to be spoken to, not struck again. Is this why uh, Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land? Yes, that's one of the reasons. And then it says in Deuteronomy 3 that God was angry with him on behalf of the people. Now, it appears that he's talking about that Numbers 20 event, and it almost sounds like he's shifting blame on them. I don't think that's what's happening. I'm thinking he's saying that, well, if it wasn't for their anger, their frustration, Moses wouldn't have lashed out and said, shall we bring water from this rock? He would not have struck it the second time. And so they're a part of it. And then you get that typology where it says, you know, Moses basically dies on behalf of the disobedience of, of the people. Right. So it's all working according to God's plan. But now did the first generation of people in the wilderness enter into the uh, no, they, land of promise? They died. And it was the children. It was the children that came in. That, that whole first generation perished and the children that they said they were fearful for actually went into the land. And they were all judged. So. A clear a clear picture of God's judgment. For sure. So that, that's it for uh, the rock there. Uh, and then the last section, which is a huge section. Which is the tabernacle. The tabernacle. There's quite a bit involved. Do uh, you want to go through that quickly? Sure, sure. I just think it's interesting that in... In Exodus, we think of a lot of different things. We think of the Exodus, right? We think of the burning bush. We think of the Passover lamb and the manna and then all those miracles, uh, the water from the rock. Uh, but we don't think of the tabernacle. Uh, and that's a huge portion of Scripture in here. We have Exodus 25 through 40. And that whole section is about the building, the furnishing, and the service within the tabernacle. And don't just gloss over those. There's a lot of truths in there that point to Christ uh, and that, that actually have relevance to our worship for God uh, in this, uh, under the new covenant, in this dispensation. So you can just go through it all, and every single thing has something to do with Christ. We're just going to uh, gloss over these because when we go through Leviticus, we're going to look uh, more detailed and we'll look at the tabernacle again. But you take the high priest. He was high priest by divine appointment, only the high priest could make atonement, right? So he's the only one that could do this. Jesus was the great high priest offering up himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. So he's Jesus comes and he's not only the great high priest, he's the sacrifice too. So he's fulfilling all these pictures at one time, uh, unlike anyone else. Uh, the high priest could only go in once a year carrying God's people on his chest to atone for their sins before God Almighty. And what do we mean by that? If you read in this section of Exodus 25 through 40, the high priest would wear a breastplate and it had the stones of each tribe of Israel. And what does that represent? Why did he wear that? Was it just because we were patriotic? No, it's not like wearing an American flag. It's 
I am representing, I am carrying in myself God's people when I go to make atonement on the Day of Atonement once a year. Only the high priest can do that, and only the high priest can carry God's people into God's presence. So you have the similarity there with Christ, and he did the same thing as he, if you read Hebrews, you see this uh, broken down where uh, all these shadows are shown to be the redemption that Christ provides and that he is the great high priest. Read through the whole book of Hebrews. When you get into Exodus 25 and the tabernacle and then all of Leviticus, the best commentary on it is not something you can get. Well, you can get this on Amazon, but it's not just the best commentator, and I love commentaries. The best commentary is Hebrews. Right. Hebrews is taking all that sacrificial uh, ceremonial uh, language and things that were happening and saying this is the fulfillment of it. Um, so that's that's in the high priest you see that, uh, the 12 stones. You see the tabernacle is Christ. You look at the tabernacle itself, not just the individual furnishings, but Christ himself is symbolized. Uh, it symbolized the dwelling place of God in the midst of his people. As a type of Christ, it symbolized the meeting of God and man. The tabernacle is a symbol and a picture and a prophecy of the man in whom God would become incarnate. It's also a symbol of the body of Christ. So you have multiple typological things here happening. The tabernacle represents Christ and that he tabernacles with us. Did you know that in John 1.14 it says, And Christ, and he came and dwelt among us. When it says he dwelt among us in John 1.14, that word is tabernacled. And, and John is pointing to that on purpose. He's saying the tabernacle, that's what Jesus did. Uh, the tabernacle is where you went to meet with God. It was a mediating point where heaven and earth came together. That doesn't just happen, you know, when we're, you know, driving to work or doing various things. But at the tabernacle, you could meet with God. Well, that's what Jesus was. He's the walking tabernacle. As we come to the Son of God, we meet with heaven. We meet with the Father. And so... God also dwells in his church, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, uh, and that is fulfilled in the church as well, because we are uh, the new temple of God. Throughout the New Testament, the writers say, you are the temple of God, because what is the temple of God? It's where God's presence dwells. It's where God is. And where is God in this age? He is with his people in his church. So you see that. Uh, you have the goat hair that that uh, for the tent cover, and you think, how, how could that have anything to do with typology? Well, it completely covered the tabernacle, and it is a it's a symbol of the complete way in which the sacrificial death of Jesus covers the body of Christ. It completely covered it. It covered it in a way that was left nothing hidden, uh, and that's the way that the death of Christ covers the body of Christ. He forgives all of our sin. Uh, because of the death of Christ and our acceptance of it, God cannot see our sins. He does not see uh, the wickedness and the sin of our lives. Uh, and you also look at it, and it was very, the outside was very normal and nothing great about it. It was very coarse and brown and not beautiful. Uh, it just looked like a normal tent. But when you go inside the tent, there were these beautiful tapestries of cherubim and uh, various different things, and you had the furnishings of the uh, bread of the presence, and you had the, the menorah, and the, the altar of incense. And so it's like Christ. On the outside, it said in Isaiah that there was nothing special about him. There was nothing that would give us cause to look towards him. But inside him was the glory and beauty of God himself. And so that's the same way the tabernacle was. Not much on the outside, but the glory was on the inside. 
Is that similar to the way uh, the Holy Spirit is in the life of Christians? Uh, with us on the outside, uh, we're not much to look at. Which is all we have that is special is uh, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So he is. Does the Holy Spirit kind of dwell? He dwells in the heart of every believer. That's scripture, correct? Mm -hmm. So is that? Does God tabernacle in the heart of every scripture? Would that be a fair, fair thing to say? Sure, sure. And, and to say, like you're saying, God tabernacles in individually in us. He tabernacles in the church. For First Corinthians actually talks about that. It talks about, in chapter 3, it says God dwells in you. God dwells among you. Right. And it's talking about the church, the body. And he says, don't let there be schisms among you. Don't say, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas. But then in chapter 6, it says... God dwells in you, but it's talking about your body because it's warning against sexual immorality. Right. And it's saying God dwells. So there's multiple fulfillment. Christ is the tabernacle. God uh, fulfills the tabernacle in us. Uh, yes, in his word. He, his presence is in his word. It, they're interconnected. Um, you have, again, the, the personal and the, the church fulfillment as well. So it's mm -hmm. multiple. Uh, so we talked about uh, the coverings uh, not being of much beauty and the inside being full of glory. The gate to the tabernacle was only one entrance. Uh, it was it was accessible, attractive, and well-supported. Christ is the only gate into the presence of God. So you couldn't, there was a gate on the east side, and if you wanted to go into the, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, that's the only door. It's not like our houses, and it's like, hey, if my front door is locked and you see the lights are off, come around back. I'm in the back, I'm in the back sitting, doing whatever. Come in the back door. It's very nonchalant, it's casual. But when you approach God, there's only one way. And in the same way now, people are saying, well, I can come to God any way that I want. And you can't say that other people that are coming through other religions are not saved or they're not coming to God. And we say, yes, God has always been this way. There's always been a singular entrance into the presence of God, into the people of God. And then it was the shown through the gate of the tabernacle and now through Christ. In the temple itself, they they entered in through the eastern gate. Yes, that was the uh, that was the way. That's the way Christ is supposed. That's the way he uh, did his triumphal entry in through the, the eastern, eastern gate. gate. And you're right, bringing up a good point. There were other gates, but as far as approaching God through the priesthood and through various ceremonies, and if you look the way everything is set up, because you can if you you look at your maps in the back of your Bible, you see there's a gate. And then immediately there's an altar of sacrifice. Then there's a bronze laver where you wash your hands. And then there's the steps to the uh, holy place. And then there's the holy of holies. But that's all a progression from the east gate towards the west. right? So it's always in that direction. And they had other gates later in of Jerusalem and various things. But to the tabernacle, one way, you one know, gate. When Christ returns, is he going to enter in through the eastern gate? That's, that's a, a debate of eschatology. Debate yeah. of eschatology. Okay, so uh, that's too much to get into right now. Probably, but if you go to an interesting fact is if you go to Israel and look, you can see the Eastern Gate, but it's been stoned up by the yes. uh, is uh, Muslims have, yes. have stoned it up as if that would keep. And they also put a um, 
Now, this is based on particular eschatology they that would believe that they put a graveyard there right. because they know that the Jews, uh, that's un, it's unclean to be near the dead or to touch the dead. Right. And they stone the gate because they believe that the prophecy in Ezekiel would be a fulfillment of the Messiah walking through sure. the east gate. And it's like, we're going to take care of this. And they... As, now, if that would as if that would stop it. Yeah. Now, it, whether you believe that that's how the Messiah will proceed or not, nothing of yeah. man like that can that's stop the, the fulfillment of that. Right. Yeah. Sorry to get you off track. No, it's interesting stuff. Uh, so, that's the gate. Uh, as you were going there, you'd come to the brazen altar, or the altar of sacrifice, uh, and the sacrifice stands at the entrance of man approaching God. So man has no access to God except the sinner that is atoned for by blood. And all through who pass through the door must pass by the blood-stained altar or not at all. So we have to come to God through a sacrifice. We, when we come to God, we, we come through the gates. The first thing we need to enter into his presence is a sacrifice. And that sacrifice of Christ, that sacrifice is Christ. That's not too hard to make connections. Exactly. To. So you need to think of a blood covenant. So the, the Mosaic covenant was a blood covenant. Uh, we talked about the Passover uh, meal and its relation to it. But uh, the Bible says that uh, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But his is also a blood covenant. It is. Because without the shedding of blood, going back to Hebrews again, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's right. So even though it's a covenant of grace, we forget sometimes that it is still a blood covenant. It is struck in blood, and not just the blood of bulls and goats. It's struck by the blood of the Son of God right. Himself. The precious, the Lamb of God, who yes. takes away the sin of the world. Yes, yes. Wow. So uh, this is just a progression. You know, once you start with the gate, you come to the brazen altar, then you come to the laver of bronze, uh, and this is symbolized where Christ cleanses us from defilement. This is where you would come after you off offer the sacrifice. You would have a a laver of water, and you would wash your hands before you entered into the temple. And it symbolizes the water of the word is is mentioned throughout the New Testament. So whether it's Ephesians 5.25 or John 17.17, 17, it's talking about being washed by the water of God's word, which we need to be as believers uh, daily washed in that <clears throat> uh, and cleansed from defilement. Then you come to the holy place. So then after you wash your hands, you can take your steps up to the holy place. This is not the holy of holies. This is the first holy place. So there's a progression of holiness as you get closer and closer to the presence of God. And this was the first room for the priest and he entered that he entered, and it contained three pieces of furniture, the table of presence, the menorah, and the uh, menorah or golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. And so... There's different names for all of these, so if you hear somebody else teaching, they might call it something else. But that's what these things were called, and these were the furnishings, and they represent Christ. The table of presence was a table of showbread, where the bread of life was shown, uh, and represents Christ. It also represents uh, good works and uh, bread. It, the menorah is a light that continually burns. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. They're all thinking back, to, not to... We might think of the sun, you know, as, as Americans, I'm the light. Of, what's the light of the world? Well, that's the sun that gives light to all the earth. They're thinking back to the menorah because the, the light that burned at all times was the menorah um, or the golden lampstand, depending on what you call it. Then there was an altar of incense. Now, 
This is an incense that is close to the Holy of Holies, but there's a curtain that separates from the, the holy place and the most holy place, and the altar of incense was near that, and the smoke would go through the curtain and sneak into the Holy of Holies, and it represents um, the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ's sacrifice for on our behalf going into the presence of God. Uh, it's all representing him. That's the altar of incense. And there's various passages and scriptures that I'm skipping over that I have reference to uh, that we may look at more in Leviticus, um, but they all point to Christ. Uh, the veil uh, in the temple, uh, is it separated the holy, we just mentioned that, it separated the holy of holies from the most, the holy place and the most holy place, uh, and it's a type of Christ's body. We see that uh, in the narrative where Christ is crucified, and Matthew just straight up tells us that's when the veil was rent supernaturally from top to bottom, not bottom to top as if a man did it, which they couldn't anyway because it was three to four inches thick. Yeah. And uh, in the fact, it was God that did that to show that I, from heaven, am opening up the way for God to approach man through the veil, which is Christ's body who was pierced at the cross. So amazing symbolism there. Uh, it keeps going as you proceed. Remember, we're proceeding in the tabernacle towards the Holy of Holies. That's the place you're trying to get to. You're trying to get to the presence of God. Uh, and it was entered only one day a year on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, and it represented God's dwelling place. Uh, it symbolized the human body of Jesus and the body of believers also. Um, and we see that uh, in Ephesians 2.21, and talks about the universal church consisting of all believers, uh, Jew and Gentile. Uh, Jesus is the Holy of Holies. He's the high priest that could go into the, uh, the Holy of Holies once a year, Believers now have full access at all times through his sacrifice. Uh, so then when you get in there, and we, we're touching on this quickly because we've already said this in previous episodes, the Ark of the Covenant, we, I kind of gave a synopsis of that, uh, but it contained three things, the law, uh, manna, and Aaron's rod. Uh, Jesus fulfills the law and that he obeys it completely and fulfills it. Uh, according to Matthew 17, uh, he, the manna, he is the bread of life. He's the fulfillment of that Old Testament uh, story. And he's Aaron's rod that budded in that in his resurrection, life comes from death. In that uh, Moses was verified in his priesthood with death in the stick that showed life through it budding. And Jesus in the same way. He was dead, truly dead, uh, buried, and then raised. And then that, that life from death is what confirmed his priesthood, just like Aaron's was confirmed. Uh, in there, you have the mercy seat. That was the gold lid over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, the covering or removal of sin, the mercy seat is that cover, the covering or removal of sin by means of expiatory sacrifice. Uh, it's the Old Testament throne of grace. Okay, Justice and mercy meet here. If you remember when they were on the Day of Atonement, they would put blood on the mercy seat. They're flinging that blood. And so it's a place where mercy is shown, but it has to be through the justice of a blood covenant. Uh, and we mentioned earlier that on that mercy seat, you had the cherubim pointing towards the middle, you know, both looking at each other, pointing their wings at nothing. And in the ancient world, they would put their idols on there. They would put their false gods. But we serve the true and living God who is the invisible God. Right? There was no incarnation at this point. God had never been seen and then... Uh, Bible even still says no one has seen God, but the Son has made him known. So there's still a sense in which we have never seen God in his fullness, in his 
divine nature and completeness. We have never seen him as he is, but Jesus has made him known in another sense. But that's what the mercy seat represented. You ever wonder why the cherubim are up there? It looks like they're pointing towards something. There's nothing there. Right. It's because we serve the awesome, invisible God. Um, the glory, uh, there was a glory that filled the tabernacle and that filled the temple. Uh, that's the Shekinah glory, as it's called. Um, this is Yahweh's self-manifestation, his transcendence, right? It's him coming down to manifest his presence in a way that affected them, in a way that, that was tangible, and, um, and it's a type of him, his dwelling in heaven, his presence coming down. Uh, in the Hebrew, I looked this up again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but glory is literally the weight. It means heaviness. Uh, and in the ancient world, that equaled value. So weight always equaled we, we, we have money, and you want $20? Well, if you want more, uh, I can give you $50, but it weighs the same as 20 So weight didn't have that direct correlation to value. But back then, if you said there's a lot of glory, God has a lot of glory, it was weight, heaviness, power, strength, uh, and we don't necessarily get that. And Jesus is of infinite value and glory and weight. Um, and so... That's that's about it. Uh, the ark, of the, the interesting. There's an interesting fact um, about the tabernacle in the first temple. It had the ark of the covenant, but the ark of the covenant was not in the second temple. This begs the question: Where is the ark of the covenant? Where is the presence of Yahweh? It's not in the temple, and you're just hanging on that 400 years of silence. And then Jesus walks into this temple where there is no ark of the covenant, and he walks into the temple and fulfills the whole meaning of the ark because he's carrying God's presence everywhere he goes as God himself. And so it's just an amazing fulfillment that uh, I had somebody ask me that one time. They thought, what, what were they doing without the ark of the covenant? How, who, what did they think they were worshiping? And I didn't really know how to answer that because I said, uh, well, like now after Jerusalem has been destroyed and they don't have their temple and their sacrificial system, the Jews have mostly uh, attained for good works and various things like that, but they don't have specifically atonement. They rabbinic Judaism has moved away from a atonement-based religion, has moved into a good works-based system, uh, which can be good for good works, but unfortunately it's meaningless for eternal salvation because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Well, Jason, this has been great, going through the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is a book that's all about Jesus. And really, you can say that of just about every book in the Bible. It's all about Jesus. It's for him, through him, in him, and unto, and him. unto him. Yes. Amen. So may God be glorified. Amen. I appreciate the chance to talk about it. I love it. I love it. I, I'm looking forward to the book of Leviticus. Uh <clears throat> I have a little advantage because the pastor is doing a series through the book of Leviticus. Of course, he's only up to chapter 8, I think. So, yes. So I've been enjoying that. So maybe that'll help me have a better discussion with you. We're going to be talking more about the tabernacle. Yes. Right? Yes, we'll be talking about the tabernacle, the furnishings, more about the Day of Atonement, and more about the feasts and how... Jesus actually fulfills those. So it's uh, it's hard work. It's like uh, mining for gems. But e even in the book of Leviticus, I think you'll be surprised at how much beauty and glory uh, of Christ is in there if you right. just dig a little. So right. Looking forward to it. So we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, 
pray that uh, you'd be blessed by this series. We pray that you are a Christian. And if you're not, come to Christ. Because that's what the Bible is all about. Come to Christ. Amen. Uh, come to Christ and there live. There is life. There is life in Christ. Amen. Come to Christ and live. Jason, thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you, Scott. God you bless you, brother. Day. You too. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.